He did things to an audience no performer had ever done before. He electrified millions on television, on the Hollywood screen, but most of all, in person. His name was Elvis. He was a legend, an idol, a king. And now, the king lives on in the first motion picture to reveal the whole story of the man whose music moved the world. Get a haircut, buttercup! In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. What were you saying? Gonna put on your blue suede hugs. Uh huh. <laughs> uh huh. I wish this was a visual uh, medium because Jack can do the Elvis lip curl perfectly. I can only do one side. If you ever meet my brother, he will do both sides. I am only one sided, so that means I'm the lesser brother. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but speaking of brothers, uh. <laughs> We could talk about the movie. <laughs> um, anyway, um, yeah, welcome to Back to the Wages of Cinema. Um, it's been a little while since we have uh, talked with you, and uh, we're really happy to be back with um, a review of something old and a review of something new. Um, we have, we well, actually, the last time we were here, we did a, a versus style episode. Um, and here we are again with another one with a new release and, you know, something a little bit on the older path uh, with you always is Jack and Trash Panda Corey. And today we're going down to Memphis. <laughs> oh, 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 call him the trap. You know, I always got that lyric wrong. Okay. You I think thought it was like calling a prayer or something. Mm -hmm. I can't walk up. Yeah, no. But I guess it was caught in a trap. Somehow prayer and trap... Eh. They don't sound alike at all. You're silly. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> but I'll tell you what was not... Who was not silly was Colonel Tom Parker. <laughs> Actually, he looks kind of silly. Actually, he was silly, <laughs> but he was evil silly. Yeah, well, that's uh, kind of the focus of one of the Elvis movies that we have. I mean, there have been a lot of different projects and things about elvis i mean it, you know it, it for you know there was for example like a mini series in the 2000s with uh, jonathan reese myers um you had uh, of course elvis versus nick elvis versus nixon elvis and nixon um which i i might even talked about once with andrew on the podcast where michael shannon played elvis in a uh, interesting particular moment in time which is not dramatized at all in either of these new movies um but actually but what we wanted to talk about today were specifically a biopic that was made right after elvis died and the new 2022 elvis um the older one starring uh, kurt russell and directed by john carpenter <laughs> of all people which is an interesting little story that i'll get I'll, I'll come back to about how he got that and this new one directed by boz lerman and starring austin butler 
and Tom Hanks. We have a lot to say about him. I mean, you know, up front, I mean, I think the, the thing to mention first is that neither of us are exactly like Elvis files in the, in the least really. I mean, why don't you tell the listeners like what your knowledge about Elvis was before we saw these movies? Um, I basically know as little about Elvis as is humanly possible <laughs> in the 21st century. I've never sat down and listened to an Elvis album. I never read a book about Elvis or watched a show about Elvis. I could probably name like half a dozen of his songs. And I've never seen an Elvis movie. And Yeah, me neither. Unless um it came up on like VH1, I love the 70s or something. <laughs> I didn't know it. So basically, I like some of Elvis's songs, but I have almost no attachment to Elvis as a cultural uh, figure. See, I feel like I somehow I must have gotten a little bit more knowledge about Elvis just through cultural osmosis or something. Well, I was thinking about this cuz um I actually saw the movie a second time today. <laughs> Because you're awesome. I, well, we saw it, like, we actually first saw it a week ago, and then we were going to podcast, but life has a way of having other... <laughs> life finds a way. Well, as, you know, a contemporary of his, John Lennon said, you know, like, life happens when... I fucked that quote up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what right. about. No, there's a whole... Oh, life, uh, life happens when you're making plans. I think that's the quote. Or something. I don't know. Anyway. Um, I was thinking about my first kind of sideway exposure to the Elvis story and Elvis myth. And I was remembering that when I was eight years old, I saw the movie Rockadoodle. <laughs> I saw that movie. Did that have Elvis in it? No, but like, do you, do you remember Rockadoodle? Not really, but I did see it. Rockadoodle is basically like a it's like kind of like an Elvis movie but with like a rooster. It's the rooster rooster Chanticleer is like on this farm and then like through a number of things that I won't get into, you know, darkness falls on the town, Chanticleer leaves and he becomes like basically a rock star a la Elvis. And there's even like a character Who's like the Colonel Tom Parker, who basically like blackmails Elvis into like continuing to, you know, being in like a movie because, you know, he's a corrupt, uh, I think he was like a cat or some type of character. I, I forget what. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know we're not talking about Rockadoodle, but like in that, you even have like, hit, you know, this rooster performing like. Elvis does on stage and you know then he leaves the stage and he completely is like a robot and very sad um the other thing I remember about Rockadoodle was that was the first time I saw a movie at the Teaneck Theater and uh I hope you're all uh, gonna you know have like a little like you know mind blown thing I have a memory that the ticket costs two dollars oh my god that makes you sound like you were born in the Dust Bowl during the Great Depression. <laughs> well, I didn't get, like, a cartoon and a documentary, and it wasn't a double feature. So, I mean, your dad still has me beat. <laughs> but that was my other memory. But, yeah, so, I mean, I've had Rockadoodle. I just, 
I kind of knew a, a little bit that like Tom Parker was like a shady guy and like basically that you know also the how Elvis in his final years was a total fat mess um but yeah I didn't know I mean I, and I knew that like he you know the stuff in his early years when he was like taking from a lot of black artists and from country music too um and became oh yes but yeah i didn't know going into this and i was glad about that because i didn't want to like read up on wikipedia i didn't want to watch a documentary um but actually since we saw the two movies I, I i watched a documentary that's on hbo called elvis presley the searcher i think it's called and it's uh and that was a really interesting look like it it covered a lot of the same ground but you know like, there were like little things i found kind of interesting just like like Elvis bought his first Cadillac before he met Tom Parker. <laughs> it's like a uh, lies movie. <laughs> um, and just like how, um, how much he really didn't like being in the movies at all. And, but what seems, well, the one thing that's consistent though, through both the documentary and the movies, Elvis and his mom kind of yeah. an interesting thing going on there. Yeah, I didn't know that both the movies make it seem like a closeness that borders on emotional incest. Yeah, yeah. And in both, I mean, in the 79 movie, again, it's Kurt Russell's Elvis. The mom is played by Shelley Winters. And um, in this new movie, it's played by Helen Thompson, I think, who I don't really know. And she's basically like, you know, I guess you hire this woman to be mom. <laughs> I feel like the 79 movie leaned a little bit more into, you know, Elvis loves his mom. This yeah. one, she kind of pops in and leaves a little bit more. That's why, like, except for Elvis and the Colonel and maybe his dad, the characters in this new movie kind of like flitter in and out and you don't really get to know anyone for too long. Yeah, I would say... In the new Elvis, the Baz Luhrmann Elmets, the Elmet Elmets Elmets <laughs> talk much. <laughs> that was that was like a Rich Evans slip up. <laughs> but I would say, <laughs> tell us more about Elmets. Luhrmann is interested in spectacle, of course, because he's Luhrmann. But yeah. I really don't think that Luhrmann cares about any other relationship in Elvis's life besides the one between him and Colonel Tom Parker, which means. I like the movie, ultimately, the Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie, but any time Luhrmann feels obligated to reference Elvis's relationship with someone who isn't Colonel Tom Parker, it's just painful to sit through, because it's so boilerplate, and it's obvious Luhrmann does not care and wants to get back to, like, frantically edited musical numbers and Colonel Tom. Yeah, yeah, basically that. I mean... I like the movie too. I mean, I'll say kind of up front. Um, I mean, I don't know how exactly we're gonna, we're going to talk about both movies. We can kind of, I think, jump back and forth. I basically liked both movies in general. Although now seeing it again, I like the Lerman movie more. And I think my main hot take is the John the John Carpenter one is has is a little more consistent in terms of how like it's entertainment level um with you know but eventually with a better like third act 
um, when you keep watching it. Whereas Lerman's movie, the highs, I think, are really spectacular. But there are some problems. There are some doldrums. There, there, well, there are just some things that, like, I just, you know, it, it, you know, I'm willing to roll with the punches on a biopic, but at a certain point, I'm like, come on, man. Walk hard <laughs> was 15 years ago. There are times where, like, characters are throwing things across a room <laughs> and, you know, Dewey Cox should pop up and be like, hey, man, I, I, I did that. <laughs> Especially because Elvis's real life is basically the wrong kid died. Yeah. I mean, well, that again, I feel like that is more of a thing in the in the in the 79 film. Like the, the diff, there are a lot of number. There are a number of things that are just different that between the two films. That, and it's hard to necessarily say, you know, because they both are dealing in slightly different approaches because the the original movie is just a very straightforward telling of, of his story up until maybe like 1969 or 70 um so you're missing like that part of his life in the 70s but you get a little bit more about his early life than I think this movie give the new movie gives you and it um where was I going with this oh yeah and also the yeah, like I said the stuff with the brother I feel like the one mention of like the dead brother is just like in like that like comic book like montage. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember that? There's yes, like I a did. little you know explaining his early years. And then Elvis grew up in the <laughs> only white house in the black neighborhood. And and then of course Elvis has that like magical moment where he peeks through like a little hole in a wall to see like the blues. I would say, <laughs> now, I quit on the incredibly long John Carpenter movie before it was over because I found it excruciatingly boring after the first 40 minutes or so. So I would say this. For me, I would say just don't watch the John Carpenter movie at all because it's really boring. I know you liked it more. For me, and the Lerman, I would say watch it if you can roll with the fact that the script is total hack work and... It's a movie that you watch just for enjoying charismatic actors and, like, well-staged set pieces. Mm. That's what I would say about it. So I would give Lerman's <laughs> Elvis a thumbs up. I, I, yeah. And the John Carpenter movie a thumbs down. Yeah. Big thumbs down. Now, but I have, now before, though, now let's get into some specifics though, of the Carpenter one. And, and by the way, like, so the reason that he directed this movie... Or he was chosen to. He wasn't like seeking this project because he was just on the up and he was an up and comer at that time. And he did Assault on Precinct 13 and he had just finished Halloween. And what happened was the produ like producers of this El of the Elvis movie saw that John Carpenter did the music for Halloween. Mm -hmm. And their logic was, and I, I kid you not, that, well, he did the music for the movie. He must know something about music. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe he was a fan too. I, I don't know, but it was, you know, and of course that, that then paired him up with Kurt Russell, who I forget if he was the first choice or not, but I think that's like one of the strengths though, of this, of the Carpenter one for me though, is Kurt Russell. Like, I think he's like a very convincing Elvis and he, <coughs> and like, I, I think Austin Butler does pretty like does very well during the performances. 
as Elvis. I think he puts a lot of extra umph into those numbers. I think if I still had to like measure up some of the dramatic scenes, I might give the edge to Russell, just as far as being a little bit more of like a complete, like a complete, you know, sort of creating a complete character. Does that make sense? Because I think that his Elvis feels a little bit more lived in, like a little more natural. Um, it also uh, the Vernon Presley, the dad, his, Elvis's dad, is played by Bing Russell. And they have a couple of scenes where it's just like, oh, we're actually kind of eschewing the usual um, biopic tropes. And I, I really like that about the Carpenter one. That's true. I really liked that. First of all, Russell is good uh -huh. in the Carpenter one. And yeah, most of the Carpenter movie is totally by the numbers biopic. But I agree with you. I really like that one scene where Elvis tells his father, you know, I want to try to make a go at this musician thing. And if you've ever watched a movie before, you assume <laughs> the parents are going to, like, you know, naysay him. But actually, his parents are supportive and helpful, and it is a nice subversion of the cliché. Well, I don't even know if subversion. It just feels like a, you know, a, a natural... Yeah, but it, I guess it is a subversion, yeah, because you think, like, hey, I want to be a musician. I'm not going to... I don't know if I want to work in this, like, dead-end job. And they're like, well, sure, I'll try to support you. And, you know, ultimately Vernon Presley did, for better and worse. Um... But yeah, and then I think the thing that's missing in the Carpenter one, because I think there are a lot of good musical numbers, there are a lot of good scenes like that that try to go a little bit against the grain of the biopic, but it's also, there's no real conflict exactly. Like, in the third act, there's a little bit more because you see, like, Elvis and Priscilla Presley's relationship start to go south, and, you know, for obvious rock star reasons <laughs> and you missed that part you might have liked the movie a little more had you stuck with it a little bit but that said it the biggest mark is that it is kind of dull it is the problem is when we were watching the carpenter movie what i said to you was this movie is no point of view it has no take it's literally just a bland reenactment of events it's just this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Yeah, and then there are all, and that that's that. There's that part of it, and then there's also the thing that TV movies, I guess, did more back in the '70s, where you're having like a, a scene, and then a character will rush in, like Elvis is kind of like playing something on the piano, or oh no no no, there's a scene I remember this specifically. He's like sitting and kind of moping, mm -hmm. watching. Rebel Without a Cause, <laughs> I guess, because he, you know, maybe identify with James Dean or something. And then, like, a guy rushes in and says, like, Priscilla's having a baby! <laughs> Fade out. <laughs> that kind of scene. So, and I don't think it's necessarily all John Carpenter's fault. He didn't write or produce this. It was by, like, some, like, TV hack. Um, and I, I, actually, I looked him up. This guy, Anthony Lawrence, wrote an Elvis movie. <laughs> At wow. one time, too. I forget which one. But, um, yeah. So that's... Uh, and, and you can tell, like, it's very by numbers. Again, Russell, I think, helps to really raise it up for me. Tom Parker, like I said, he's barely a character in that movie, though. Played by, But played by Pat Hengel. And he's kind of fun in it. Um, 
but uh but yeah like i mean it's it's also the other thing too is it's just it's long so long both these are very long movies they are yeah i think i mean both movies feel their weight in different ways i think like i felt the lerman one more towards the end i think the the russell carpenter one i felt more a little in just the middle and then it picked up like in the last like 30 minutes a bit more Especially in that one, they are building eventually to something. There, the framing is Elvis's sort of um, comeback in Vegas, because that's ultimately where it ends off. Um, you know, and of course, a mark against this movie as both the new one, which is one of the notes I actually made for myself: lack of fat Elvis. <laughs> uh, it. I think it doesn't help that probably. When the 79 film was made, it was just so recent. They probably thought, well, uh, we can't really besmirch, you know, the image of Elvis. We can't show him being too ungainly. But in the new one, they don't really have that excuse. And you only see him kind of, you know, a little bit fat, like, near the very end of the movie. Like, literally the last scene, which is like three weeks before he died. And the thing is, it's not that it, it doesn't even look bad. They have the finale of the movie spoilers because <laughs> spoilers for Elvis's <laughs> life. No, they show him performing. Um, what's that song? Oh my love, my darling. Yeah, I don't. Oh, remember. touch. How do I not know that song? That's like a famous song. But they show both Austin Butler mm. playing, singing in the, at the piano. Then and then they cut to footage of real Elvis uh, doing the song and I'm just like well you know I know the movie's already long but couldn't we have had a bit more excess near the end and like we also see Elvis in like a penultimate scene when he's like right before he's about to get on an airport and he's it's like 1975 and he looks just like as thin as he did in early I know I sound like I'm nitpicking but I feel like it without seeing any kind of transformation it doesn't i don't really feel his change as much well another thing that the lerman movie has to contend with is lerman does have a take on elvis but his take on elvis is that he was kind of continually abused exploited and kind of puppeted by colonel tom parker and i think one of the issues is if the premise of your movie is that the supernaturally charismatic lead is someone who's constantly manipulated and jerked around by this side character. The main character's kind of passive by definition. Mm. Yeah. So maybe you wanted, like, more transformation because so much of the arc involves Elvis yeah. being led around by Tom Parker. Yeah, no, that, absolutely. That's that's the thing. And and it's like costume changes aren't, you know, that's not the only thing. And I think part of it too is that we, like, Tom Parker actually transforms more than Elvis does. I feel like, I again, now seeing it a second time, I think I see Tom Parker getting a little more fat and bedraggled and they show him also uh kind of hilariously in that framing device which is also like i should i should get make it a criticism but like i almost find it just so funny like him like in like his dying days like 
wandering around like one of the hotel carrying a like a catheter like talking to the camera like being like it is you who made Elvis die. <laughs> it was it love. Was, yeah, oh my god. Elvis is killed it by the power of love. It wasn't the pills. It wasn't even me. It was your love. <laughs> oh, give me a break. Yeah, so we should mention Elvis died in 1977. Colonel Tom Parker died in 1997. And the framing device of the Lerman film is Colonel Tom Parker on the eve of his death in 1997 is like he's got to think about his whole life before he dies yeah well (laughs) his whole life with elvis like the thing is too like i almost like even the thing about this new elvis movie it is it's enter it's very entertaining i actually i think why i also wanted to see it again aside from maybe i thought at first well maybe i didn't give it like a totally fair shake i thought it was kind of like way too much, like kind of exhausting, frankly. But there were enough parts in it where I was kind of with the movie. And I was like, hmm, maybe I would find more on a second viewing. And so going back to it again, like I was really swept up, especially in like maybe the first half to two thirds of the movie up through up through uh, the Elvis comeback special. Uh, Vegas also to an extent, but like. It, this movie is just a, full of a lot of peaks and valleys, and they're all very like shallow peaks and valleys. Yeah, it's very much and like the thing is when you then look up Tom Parker, even just on Wikipedia, <laughs> which I know that's like the cliche. Well, after you know, I could you why don't you just take the Wikipedia page? But Tom Parker, well, again, that's not, he was neither a colonel nor a Tom nor, nor a Parker, Parker, as Tom Hanks has said in interviews. He was, his name, real name was uh, Andreas uh, Den something, Kerlick or something, I forget. He was, you know, uh, from Holland. And he, the, they, if we, you know, the movie keeps very secret why he, you know, changed his name and came to America and didn't have a passport. Do you know? Did I tell you the reason why? Well, he killed someone, right? That's what they <laughs> well, said in the movie. <laughs> well, he was suspected of killing someone. Yeah. Did they say that in the movie, yes. though? And they say at one point. Well, they didn't say he did it, but they say he was suspected of killing someone. Yeah, and that story is like fascinating because he was like, he was like a young man when that happened. Well, in the movie, he said, "Well, Tom Hanks in voiceover is like, I was an orphan when I joined the <laughs> carnival, and." No, like that would have been an interesting way of like he I don't know if the word if this word makes it would qualifies, but it would humanize him a little bit. He had something he was running from and he ran to Elvis. <laughs> a matter of speaking. Um now to talk about the new movie for a bit though. Um I what's interesting is reading the press on the movie, it seems like a lot of people are down on Tom Hanks. I I, I think he's I think he's a lot of fun in this movie. I love his performance. I think you need to have more fun in your life if you can't roll with what Tom Hanks is doing in this movie. I think it's brilliant casting. I think that I think when I first watched it, I wondered if hmm maybe this wasn't quite right because people were saying he was very miscast and you know what is he doing? He's like a cartoon character. No, that's what you need for this guy. You need someone who, and also with Tom Hanks, 
I was sitting in the movie theater thinking this is kind of like when Henry Fonda was casted Once Upon a Time in the West, where you have this guy who is mostly associated with being like uh, an American dad figure, like this guy who everyone really loves in movies and is often almost his image is very trusted by the public. And um, he and in this, they th that image is almost used like in a way where he's a Svengali. He's a total, you know, creep, uh, you know, uh, huckster. But there, but he's enjoying himself while he's doing it. And he's just the, the so much. I feel like even though there's all that makeup, when I'm always looking at Tom Hanks's eyes. Yeah, and it's I, a very expressive performance, to say the least. I would say it's a shallow movie. If I think the Lerman movies are pretty shallow films, so you have to kind of be okay with that. But I love Tom Hanks in this. I thought he was hilarious, and I I don't know if I found him as funny the second time around. Like I think our our impression going in, we said this to each other was uh, we want like Jared Leto in House of Gucci. Yes. And I, we get, we get that a bit. I think, I think once I get past the first five or 10 minutes though, I actually think I settle into his performance more. I'm not really laughing at it too much. I don't know. Maybe you disagree. I thought he was pretty funny throughout, but I think that it's kind of essential to the movie. Cause I think. One, I think the movie's very interested in exploring, like, the nature of charisma and, like, yeah. what gives you power over other people. Like, what aspects of your personality and, like, what makes it, a person have charisma. Yeah. And for that, if one of the primary occupations of your movie is, is about, like, Svengali's and charisma, you need... A very kind of over-the-top performance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you need, like... And I think what helps, too, is that Austin Butler is not playing it over-the-top. He seems actually a little bit more cool and restrained, which, you know, you want for this guy. And, of course, there are scenes where he gets angry and mad mm -hmm. later in the movie. And he gets emotion. You know, he throws things. He get You know, it's a Baz Luhrmann movie, so <laughs> character's going to be, like... Ah, um, but to an extent that is, yeah, that that work that it, they the performances I think complement each other. I think it feels like Austin Butler is getting all the praise, and Tom Hanks is getting like a lot of criticism. And I, yeah, I think Tom Hanks is great in it. I think it's one, maybe even like one of his major performances, yeah, in like a long time. Uh, I am, I am so into it, and I think the movie. I think one of the reasons why the movie places Colonel Tom Parker in such a central role is Elvis has so much power over other people because of how good his performances are. But if you have the power over Elvis, and Elvis has the power over literally millions of people, <clears throat> you, in a way, have a power over millions yeah. of people. We are the same, you and I. We are two odd, lonely children reaching for eternity. There was, yeah, and actually there was a, um, the first time also I watched the movie, I was a little bit, 
not satisfied in a way with one thing with between Elvis and Tom Parker. I'm not now, but I was almost thinking after I first watched the movie and I think I told this to you, like why did Elvis put up with it for so long? Why did, you know, he should have seen that Tom Parker was trying to stifle him. Like the whole thing with doing the Christmas songs and the, in the comeback special, you know, you know, also trying to make him squeaky clean, all of that control, but you you actually gave me a, a concept that um, was really interesting. Can you tell like a podcast about that? What did I say? I don't even. <laughs> it, it was almost like a like a political theory or something. Like, oh, the iron law of institutions. That yes. Basically, a lot of people care more about how much power they have within a given institution versus how powerful the institution itself is. And I extrapolated that to Colonel Tom Parker and Elvis. Colonel Tom Parker would rather have total control of Elvis, even if that control makes Elvis less popular. Yeah. And I think Elvis goes along with it because Elvis <clears throat> is of is presented to me as someone who just has, like, an endless need to be loved, and he kind of mistakes being controlled for yeah. being loved. Yeah. Well, there's also too. I think there. What well, the thing I also took this time. There was this interesting contradiction to me where you know Elvis comes up at a time in America in the 1950s where things are very, you know, conservative. Yeah. And things are very much like you got to be squeaky clean. You know, we have this country act. It's very like everyone likes this. Uh, you know, they even had the contrast when Elvis first, you know, joins on the tour with this other country act. And he's like basically a dull like, <laughs> you know, that kind of crap. Uh, <laughs> but um, but so it's like, t- you know, Elvis is like kind of rebelling against a lot of images at the time, he's kind of combined, you know, again, he combines gospel and rock and country into, you know, this new sound. I said rock, no, gospel and country and blues into what he is. But Tom, but I think Tom Parker, it's like he's, he just comes from a more of a conservative mindset. He's like someone who just thinks like, no, we need to do this because this will make you like more palatable. And the whole push and pull, I think, of the movie, even on a more philosophical level, is like self versus like like a god or something like that. Like, I'll, you know, not god maybe, but like almost uh, Tom Parker is like this father figure also to to Elvis. You know, he has his dad, but as we find out, you know, his dad went to jail. His he wasn't Elvis wasn't really close with his dad like not even you know his mom was the one that raised him so that scene where elvis's mom dies and you know the the dad tells tom parker you should talk to him he listens to you that you know that that's a that's a really key moment where vernon fails his son because he gives up like the keys to this like big dad figure exactly and the thing is Elvis's mom died young. She was only, like, 46, I think, when she died. Yeah. So Elvis was, of course, quite young upon her death. So you ha- he, he very young. He's already had this great success. So you have this young man who has this giant void 
Yeah, absolutely. That only Colonel Tom Parker could fill. And I thought one of the things the movie seemed to suggest to me was that Elvis's genius was almost like totally mm. subconscious and instinctual. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even down to the wiggle. Yeah. You know, like the wiggle he did on stage, his whole movement, like he does that. And that was actually true to real life. He just did that. And then like he turned to his band and was like, wait, why are they all cheering? And they're like, they like your moves. <laughs> so I think that's one of the things, but that's, I also think one of the things that makes in the movie Elvis kind of easy to control is because I feel like Elvis himself struggles to articulate why he's so good at what he's doing. Because yeah. it's something that comes from a place that he can't name and he can't Yeah. He can't say like this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. No, it's it's it, you know he it almost he became kind of possessed on stage by like uh, well of course the movie turns that into like you know he saw like the blues people like becoming possessed and you know the, the whole gospel you know the church the ch the the revival tents you know um and i guess that's the closest thing the movie tries to give any kind of explanation i mean i like that about the movie in a way that like they don't try to explain it too much mm -hmm. it's just Elvis almost comes out fully formed. Yeah. And yeah, and it's like what and what's interesting too in the new movie is also the whole thing with Tom Parker's narration. And you know, you have to kind of keep in mind that this is like super unreliable narrator. Like this guy makes Henry Hill look like uh you know, fucking like Father Christmas. <laughs> You know, and so like him when he's talking to us, it, I think it might be. I wonder if it's jarring for some people because you know they listen to him and they think like, well, this guy would be an authority, but but no, he was like, you shouldn't believe like most of what he's telling you. <laughs> um, you know, it's from a very skewed perspective. Um, now again, I think other things with the movie. I mean, we talked about like again the musical performances. I think are. Par for what I was expecting from Lerman. Really exciting. They are. Um, now, on the downside, like I said, this is on a bit of like walk hard, played straight. <laughs> yes. And kind of like that, but like a lot of musical biopics, they, they short shrift, I think, certain characters that either you needed more time with them or, I mean, I don't know what you could have done, but like Priscilla Presley, it she's like the she's like the Ava Gardner and the aviator <laughs> of this movie to make another Scorsese reference um cause like Tom Parker also he kind of like hypes her up when you first hear about her cause you know he goes off to Germany that's where he met her by the way she was 14 <laughs> you know the, the movie doesn't bother with that she's just 18 I guess here <laughs> wink wink um but he makes it sound like, but then Elvis fell in love, and as if that's like a challenge to him. But it's not. It's like Priscilla's just there from time to time, and then she has like the big scene in Vegas where you know she throws the pills at him and walks out, and and also you know he also of course cheats on her, which yeah. <laughs> but it but it's just 
I feel like there could have been something more with that character. My take is she's probably only in the movie in the first place because in real life Priscilla Presley's still alive, so you have to deal with like the estate. I guess. But yeah, it's obvious to me as a viewer, Lerman does not care about like Elvis the husband or the marital relationship at all. So she's not in a lot of the movie, but whenever it's an Elvis versus and Priscilla scene, it's just so cliched and so hacky that you're just praying for it to end. Yeah. I mean, there's one scene where like, he's like just brushing his teeth in his room and talking to her. And that's like, okay, that's kind of a nice moment. And then it's just gone. Now it's back to like, you know, Elvis, the showman, and it, that's the thing that home when your whole movie is like circus, 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 you know, it, you kind of run out of steam. And I think it kind of does near the end. Oh, the other and the other big thing, too, which talking about like what the movie does show him and his like whole civil rights thing. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like. Okay, all right, you want to have the scene where him and his group have to stop what they're doing and watch the that MLK got shot, okay. You want to also stop because RFK got shot, all right, fine. I mean, that's, every one of these movies has to do that. But then, like, later in the movie, it's like he's haunted by MLK when he's, like, paranoid on drugs in his room. Do you remember that? Like, he yeah. just fires his guns at like the TVs because he thinks he's still hearing like King was shot and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, come on. Like he, maybe, maybe Elvis was sad for like a day, but that didn't like wreck his world that, you know, the, that, oh my God, I have to make a political statement. Cause the thing is too, like, his political statement was in the 50s. After that, he became either just non-political or he was Republican. Hence Elvis and Nixon. <laughs> Which, but I think apparently from what I've read that there's a much longer cut of this movie and there's, El there's Elvis Nixon stuff in that. But I guess, you know, already this movie's, you know, two hours and 40 minutes, so. Well, yeah, I think... So when I watch it, is it is it both is it too long and yet it doesn't have enough? I feel like Lerman felt almost obligated to throw things into the movie that he doesn't care about. That's how I read it. Yeah. To me, it feels like Lerman really cares about recreating Elvis's like X Factor in live performance. Yeah. And he cares about Colonel Tom yeah. Parker. And and create well creating the that and also early on in at at points creating the some of the musical mood around Elvis. Like, you know, the the again the church revival or um Lil Richard doing Tutti Fruity. Like yeah. that was a very good number. Um was that actor, by the way? Oh, why am I blanking on his name? Was he in Unsane? I don't know. Like the guy, yeah, the black guy. Oh, I'm blanking on his name now. But anyway, um, yeah. Where and also it's funny then because the other Elvis movie. To jump back to that just for a second, that also has 
like a lot of stuff in it too. But again, the, the problem there is not that like they're uninterested in what's going on in, in the the Elvis story. They are they are interested. It's just kind of not as exuberantly delivered. Now you said you liked how the Carpenter movie dealt with the relationship with Priscilla Presley. Yeah, I did. Well, that in that one uh, again, Priscilla Presley played by Susan Hubley. The new one, she's played by Olivia De- Delange. De- De- George, I might be mispronouncing that name. Um, Season Hubley, I like a lot. It was funny because when I watched that Elvis movie, I just the day before watched her other 1979 movie, Hardcore, <laughs> where she plays quite a different character. I, It's just you, you basically understand that they're kind of like, they're just drawn to each other because partly that they're just, you know, good looking, very attractive people, but also that there's just something missing for both of them. Like she's from like kind of like a military family where she never really attached to anyone. And he, you know, of course has his emptiness from mom dying and all that. I just like, I just like their relationship better. It's hard to pinpoint one scene to tell you like, Oh, Hey, this is like working, but I just like the actors better together. Like Olivia to George is fine, but like you don't really get a sense that like, this is why Elvis is into her. Or why she's into him. That's, I think, the problem in the Lerman movie. I almost wouldn't mind if they just if they had the cliches, but just give me something. Well, you also said that the Carpenter movie is a lot more detailed and specific about like their dynamic and yeah. how Elvis is very controlling of her. Oh no, no, that too. Thank you. Yeah, I, I should mention that he was controlling. Definitely, I I kind of forgot that. Yeah. He, yeah, she she couldn't really do too much. He was often just kind of at grace. Oh, yeah, yeah, she was taking care of the kid. He was the one getting off to, you know, perform and, you know, have fun with his gang. And, yeah, she was, that, that I think, is an important detail. That's something that points to why they were ultimately miserable with each other, even though there was still love there. And that's what made that kind of tragic. And that's the dimension in the Carpenter one that works better because Russell, you know, he's such a good actor and he hopefully is good too, that they can play that even as that has its own cliches of the biopic at the time. I feel like both these movies are hindered by the obligation that if you're doing a biopic, you have to hit like X number of check marks on a list. Whereas We've talked in the past how a lot of times the best biopics don't attempt to be comprehensive, but rather they take one small slice of a person's life and zero in on that. Yeah. Like something like Love and Mercy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or in the non-political realm or not in the non-musical realm, something like Lincoln. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or or in again, this even though it was more of a comedic, you know, whatever Elvis and Nixon. That yeah. was one slice in Elvis's life. And it's funny, Quentin Tarantino, I think I told you this years ago, said that if he he didn't he doesn't like biopics. Like he he doesn't like that genre in general. But if he did a movie about Elvis, he would make it just about the day that he walked into Sun Records. And that would be the whole movie. Like how what what happened with him when he went into Sun Records, met Sam Phillips you know, recorded That's All Right Mama. Like, that itself is a movie. 
Yeah, and I think <laughs> both these movies are very long and kind of flabby. They're kind of like fa- the fat up. <laughs> well, well, my did you remember my comment after we walked out of the Lerman Elvis? I said that's a fool's gold of a movie. <laughs> and for those who don't know, the fool's gold is a sandwich which Elvis would eat twice a day, and it was a full loaf of bread cut open, filled with peanut butter, jelly, bacon, and a whole stick of butter. I might be forgetting some ingredients, but I think that was it. I mean, God, that will clean your colon out. (laughs) God, it's a little more excitement, a little more action in that colon. (laughs) But, But yeah, but you're right. Like, it's... It's a lot. Yeah, and unfortunately, the Carpenter movie is made with all the flair and style of, like, a high school educational film strip. Yeah. Yeah, well, again, it was made for TV in the late 70s. You know, there were, obviously, there were some restrictions on stuff you could even show. Like, I, you know, it, I mean, I'm sure they probably could show more than they could in the 1950s, but, yeah, and that... And then by the time you get to this new movie, you can show more because it's PG-13. But I wonder if it had been rated R, if maybe they could have gone further. Well, one thing, for instance, that they censor in the Carpenter movie is Elvis's mother was an alcoholic. She died young. Right. Because... They didn't mention... I thought they mentioned that she drank a bit in the Carpenter movie. Not really. They mention it in the Lerman movie. In the Lerman movie, oh, it's yeah. not a huge thing, but in the Carpenter movie, she just oh, yeah. randomly dies of, like, unspecific yeah. movie disease. Although, I have to say, though, I really enjoy, you know, Shelley Winters in anything that she's in. Yeah. You know, because she's one of the best. Um, she gets some decent moments in that movie, because she's just, like, very desperate for Elvis's love, and... Elvis is desperate to love her, and, well, that's enough of that. Um, <laughs> but you're right, probably, yeah, they probably didn't mention as much as they could have. Um, well, I like in the Lerman one, what I was smiling about just now was how Tom Parker's narration was, when Elvis was away, she drank and she worried. <laughs> or something like that. Or she worried yeah, and she, she drank. drank. Yes. And then she just, like, the way that they shoot it, she just plops down on the top of the stairs dead <laughs> and then they, like the camera spins and does all that stuff and uh yeah so i mean ultimately i don't know what else we could say like again all the musical numbers in both these are a lot of fun the ones in this in the new movie are again you get your money's worth for, for that alone like the the way that those are shot it's you know, very much about Austin Butler's charisma as Elvis. You know, his he really communicates, especially in those 1950s scene, like, you know, I'm going to do this and fuck you. You're just going to have to, like, deal with me, like, fucking the audience. And, um, and then, like, you know, like, then the later scenes, he's a little bit more of, like, a polished show- showman. So there is a little bit of transformation in that aspect, actually, I just realized. But I don't know what what you were going to say. Well, I was going to say, the Lerman movie basically films the Elvis scenes, and Lerman's purpose is, I want to recreate what it felt like for a teenage girl to watch Elvis and have sexy feelings for the first time in her life. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
yeah, that definitely. Like, there was that one scene where, like, the senator's, like, kids or, like, their his family or whatever are sitting around watching Elvis. And it's funny because there's, like, one girl who's, like, that's Elvis Presley. <laughs> but if you notice in that scene, there's, like, a young male who's also looking at the TV <laughs> that way, too. I like that, like, little, you know. That's a good version of what Disney tries to do with, like, we're going to sneak in. We're going to try to, we're going to appease the LGBTQ audience. Like, no, that's how you do that. Well, we've talked in the past how, like, that is kind of a formative thing. The first time you see, like, a celebrity or something and you feel, like, attraction towards them. Do, do you want to tell the Wages of Cinema who you <laughs> felt that with? Have you ever told? You've told me. Well, the very first that I can remember, and this was like pre-puberty, so it was not like, it was not like full on watching Elvis shake his pelvis. It was kind of like proto that. But when I watched The Fly. <laughs> I mean, anytime you're getting... <laughs> Jeff Goldblum covered in disgusting makeup, you're going to ignite someone's sexuality. But I had some kind of reaction <coughs> that, like, I didn't understand at the time. And I was very young, but with the benefit of hindsight, it was probably the very first time I was ever like, hmm. Also, Jimmy Smith in the Tommy Knockers miniseries. <laughs> All right. Maybe that's a little TMI. <laughs> The Jeff Goldblum part, that's fine, you know. <laughs> Go fuck that fly. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, no, I, I totally get it. I'm sure I've I had that with some actress at some point. But, but unfortunately, uh, the car Carpenter, again, he shoots the musical numbers like... Pretty standard. They're not bad, but they're pretty, like, pan across the stage, close up, wide, you know, audience. There's no flair. There's no creativity. There's well, no. well, of course. I mean, Buzz Lerman runs on, like, cocaine and <laughs> Red Bull. You know, he's like, you know what it was seeing, that, like, why maybe I also wanted to see a second time? Mm -hmm. We don't get too many movies like this anymore where, like, almost like Oliver Stone used to do back when he was, you know, good. good. Yeah, where it's just, or or also a little bit, speaking of Vegas, a little bit like some of, uh, when it, like, obviously this is a much better film, um, but Casino has a little bit of that energy to it as well. Um, and it's, it, and, and stylistically it makes sense for the idea this is a guy who came from Carnival Barkers and saw Elvis as, quote, the greatest show on earth. He even tells him that. And that part of it's fine. I think it's a spectacular spectacle, but as a movie, that's where it it's a little bit more like Swiss cheese. Yeah. You know, so that's... And ultimately, like I said, I do like the movie. I do like it. Um, you know, it's... I almost wonder if Baz Luhrmann will ever make something, though, is like spectacular as Moulin Rouge again. <laughs> but, you know, who knows? But... Uh, all right, so I don't know. Final thoughts? Don't watch the John Carpenter movie. It's boring and lame. Um, I know you disagree. Watch the watch the Lerman movie as long as you're the type of film goer who can accept like style over substance and who can let kind of great direction and great acting paper over a pretty pedestrian script. 
Yeah, or even at times kind of a piss poor script. Yeah, like actually the script is actively bad. I'll this is that it. rare time where you often hear the cliche that like a good script can, you know, uh, even if you have poor direction, a good script will save it. This is that rare time where very extravagant direction and good acting saves a, a bad script. Yes. And I would say with the John Carpenter one, you're that's maybe more for completists. I'm not saying don't watch it ever. Maybe put it on if you have to fold some laundry <laughs> and then you can look up during some of those performances or if you want to watch, you know, Russell get, you know, angry at some people when he's hanging out with Natalie Wood. <laughs> and uh um but yeah, so again, I do like the Lerman one more. I don't want to say it, but I like I just like the Kurt Russell one a little more than you did. That's my main take. So our verses is versed. <laughs> if you guys have seen either version of the Elvis movie um, or other Elvis movies, uh, if you've been to Viva Las Vegas, uh, you know, leave us a message at wageofcinema@gmail.com. Uh, visit us at Facebook and Instagram and all those places. We'd love to hear from you. Um, Next time, we are going to cover one of the big summer blockbusters. Yes. So just stay tuned for that. If you have been listening to us for any regular amount of time, you could probably guess what it is. Um, but uh, hopefully we can do another one of these again. I love doing these Versus episodes. Me too. Yeah. I love doing them with you. Well, likewise with you. Yeah. You know, I can't help but falling in love with <laughs> My podcast, podcast co-host. Aww. Uh, well, anyway, on that note, hope you guys have a great rest of your summer. If uh, you're having a summer, <laughs> hopefully you are. You're listening to this. Um, and uh, with that said, I'm Jack. I'm Corey. And the wages of cinema is. Hunt. <laughs> okay, then. You ain't nothing more.